Welcome to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast. Lifestyle advice for men so powerful, you'll want to run your life on it. And now your hosts, Guy Mullen and Chris Field. Okay, men, welcome back to Real Talk for Real Men. I'm Guy Mullen, and it's good to be back on the show. We're on the road today, and I have with me my faithful friend, Chris Co-host. Field. There you go, Chris. Good to be with you. And we've come to a rather um, quiet little corner of the world to catch up with someone who you're going to introduce to us in a rather unusual way. I am. I'm going to play a clip, just a short clip from one of his songs. And so why don't we do that as part of his introduction? Let's play that now. Perhaps love is like a resting place, a shelter from the storm. It exists to give you comfort. It is there to keep you warm. And in those times of trouble, when you are most alone, the memory of love will bring you warm. Perhaps love is like the ocean, full of conflict, full of pain. Like a fire when it's cold outside, thunder when it rains. If I should live forever and all my dreams come true, my memories of love will be on Okay, so some of you will recognise that song, and some of you will recognise the artist, but for those who don't, we have Pete Brocklehurst here. Welcome to the show, Peter. Good afternoon. Peter, that's a beautiful song, a beautiful cover of a John Denver song. You do it beautifully. But where I want to start today is a name that you were given, and I want to know where this name came from, and that name is Singing Cobbler. That uh, brand was given to me by Sony Music, actually. (laughs) The name. Right. But how did I actually become a Singing Cobbler? Um, the story can be told in um, three days or 15 minutes. <laughs> we might start with the minutes, short yeah? version okay. and expand there. I landed in Australia in uh, 1965. Um, the, it was a bumpy landing. My parents never really landed. They bumped themselves around Australia and over a period of um, the next uh, 50 years or so, I've lived in uh, over 100, close to 179 different addresses. Wow. Uh, from Darwin, every capital city and many towns in between. So um, the, the, the life that I le- had on the, was on the road. My education was on the road. I was a, a, the, the, no um, schooling, so to speak, grade five. Two weeks into grade five, I was pulled out of school to full-time work. So I think I did my forklift driving hours, uh, 2,000 of them by the time I was 14. So I had quite a, a, an interesting youth. So why did your parents travel around quite so much, Peter? I just had a nomadic heart, I think. Okay. There was no reason uh, other than um, my mother just had itchy feet and wanted to move. My father was settling down all the time and mum would say, I want to go. And there were other reasons, sometimes there were financial reasons, uh, many and varied, but uh, throughout the course of that whole uh, period of time, um, one thing always main, was always steady, apart from the love of the parents, was the fact that I discovered from a very early age a love for music and singing. Mm. 
um, that was introduced to me by virtue of a Mario Lanza record from called The Student Prince, and I heard the voice of Mario singing Serenade on a record player in a caravan park in Darwin in 1969. Yeah, that's, you've got it nailed right down to the moment. Yes, yeah. I, right, I can <laughs> still remember my father walking up with a $2 gramophone. I didn't know what it was, and a piece of plastic. He ran the handle, put it on, and music was introduced to me How for the first were you time. Uh, I think I may have been... I've told a story that I was nine, um, but I think I was closer to seven. Okay. At that point in my life, um, my, my memories prior to that were all black and white. My memories from since that day have been colour because it opened up a whole new thing. And, uh, and I lived and breathed a Mario Lanza. He became an idol. I spent copious amounts of hours labouring, sweating twisting my voice to become what I wanted to be Mario Lanza's. So did you have an extraordinary voice at the age of seven or eight or nine? I don't know how extraordinary a voice can be at the age of seven. I thought I did. My mum and dad told me I did. So right. one of the consistent things that I mentioned before that I had was parents telling me I had a nice voice. Right. They always encouraged me. They never shut me up, which is one of the reasons why I talk too much. Um, <laughs> you know, in travelling around Australia in the back of a station wagon with, uh, with at least six siblings at, uh, at one time, um, there wasn't much of an opportunity to get your chop in, but mum and dad always let Peter talk um, and sing. So I, was, I had a free reign. So I did that. Um, and I think it was uh, at the age of uh, 20, um, eight, 18 or 17, uh, I got into my first, 16 now, I'm remembering, I got into my first rock band. Um, and uh, the period of my rock and roll music spanned over a 30-year period. During that period of time, I was married twice um, and, uh, and, and divorced subsequently twice. Uh, and that period of time uh, involved a lot of alcohol, a lot of drugs, a lot of insecurity because I really didn't have an identity other than I was Peter the singer. Um, I didn't have group school friends, that type of thing. Yeah, so, just before you go on yeah. about that, though, before, <clears throat> I thought Guy mentioned to me when he was introduced me to our conversation with you that you were a bit of a Bible basher. Okay, uh, I was that, getting that was to that. Be, that was before the rock yeah, and roll. Yes, stage. no. Okay. Um, what happened was uh, I'm, I'm trying to cut this short so I can overlap it for you. Um, when I uh, my life consisted of 30 years of rock and roll, and then um, in in the year 2000, I was discovered in my shoe repair shop. As a, as a potential classical uh, celebrity, singing celebrity. Now, going back to um, a very early age, I, um, I'd experienced uh, quite a lot of trauma, which I'll, I'll likely touch on in a second. But about the time of my, first, my second marriage, um, I was introduced to um, Christianity by virtue of a seed being planted many years before. And I got to the point where I was living on my own with my first daughter, um, and in a unit drinking and doing all kinds of drugs and things and having friends around, the place was always full of marijuana. Um, I started questioning life and questioning everything. I was pretty uh, depressed over the fact that I didn't think I was brought up to believe marriages stayed together no matter what. So I was quite distraught with the whole thing. Um, and I started reaching out. I one day looked up into the heavens and I saw the stars and I started hyperventilating when I became more um, aware of the fact that this was never ending, how could it possibly be? The questions that a lot of atheists and a lot of non-believers uh, come to. I started deep breathing, I started running to my parents, I left my daughter in the bedroom and I started panicking. What is all this about? What is all this about? Um, without going into any dramatic explanations other than uh, that, that I have already, I 
got to a point on the way to my parents where I heard almost heard an audible voice, and that voice was of that young girl that witnessed to me years before, and the words that she read out of the Bible was, I am. And she said, I, he said, I always have been, always will be, basically. That came into my head. All of a sudden, I was hit with the realisation that it doesn't all have to be just um, all uh, hypothetical and, and unanswerable. There was an answer. There is a God. He always has been. I couldn't understand it, but it was something. So I kept continuing my run to my parents. I ran inside my atheistic parents and I said, Mum and Dad, there is a God. And my dad looked up at me and he saw the tears. They listened. Three days later, we went downtown looking for someone and I bumped into a man on the corner uh, near a church. And I said, do you know anything about this building? And he said, yes, it's uh, a hall that we use. Who's we? Um, because I was a signer. Um, he said, uh, the Baptist Church. And I said, I want to know about God. And with tears in his eyes, he took me inside and told me what he needed to tell me. I was at church, I think, probably the next week, and my whole family walked forward and accepted the Lord as our Saviour. That's fantastic. When I say my whole family, a large, a large yeah. contingent of them. Mm. That was... Uh, um, in the year 1979. Mm-hmm. I then spent the next four years. Um, I, I had been doing rock and roll prior to that and a little into it. And then after I pulled out of the rock and roll world and the alcohol and tried to clean my life up, I got heavily involved in a legalistic type of a representation of Christianity and I ran around and trying to beat everybody into the kingdom of heaven with my big heavy King James Bible. Mm-hmm. After four years of the Lord allowing me to persist on this foolish road, I um, got disgruntled, um, got mixed up. There was no grace or love uh, in the sense that I was being counseled or uh, helped or, or discipled by anybody. Um, I left the church, walked away from my faith, um, and started the rest of my rock and roll years, uh, 25 years of all kinds of debauchery, alcohol, um, albeit met a new uh, lady, had two more beautiful children to that lady. Um, we were married for uh, 14 years. She was also involved in the Christian uh, aspect of my life, but I did a stupid thing. I did what a lot of men do, which is um, I was uh, ruled by my sexuality, is the clean way of putting it. And um, I'm sure most of the guys in the world can put a more um, worldly um, uh, phraseology, if you like, to that, led by my sexual desires. I I walked away from my marriage and my children and got involved with a lot of other uh, sordid things um, prior to uh, going in and out of shoe repairs and rock and roll at nights. Don't give up your day job. I ended up... Let ask this question, because it just intrigues me that you could have this... This is where you make big money with hit songs out of rock and roll. I presume a, a cobbler doesn't make a lot of money. It's funny that you, that should be your trade. Didn't have a lot of money in my rock and roll. I was in country bands and it was 40 dollars $50, $100 a night singing okay. and screaming in pubs. Um, so that's why I said I couldn't give up my day job. Mm-hmm. So I persevered with probably, now it's been 30-odd years that I've been doing shoe repairs. I always came back to it. Um, so in and out of shoe repairs, singing at night, blah, blah, blah. I ended up in a shop in Hawthorne and was cobbling away there and uh, drinking heavily. I had uh, a girlfriend, sort of. I didn't really know what, what I was doing, but I was doing a lot of prescription medication and I was drinking a lot of alcohol. Um, and I was introduced at that point in time to a, a man who was um, entrepreneurial and he had a few dollars behind him and he needed a project, or to put it in his words, at that point he was breathing out and I was breathing in. Um, he basically, without hearing my voice, heard my story, introduced me to some people who he, uh, say, vetted me, 
um, and uh, was told quite quickly that the potential was there to make quite a bit of money. Mm -hmm. I was then, the shop was closed down, I accepted his offer to make me a star within 12 months of walking around coffee shops, drinking, sitting in coffee shops, drinking coffee and, and learning basic Italian and deportment classes. I then recorded my first album, which debuted at number one on the international classical charts. What was that album? Boots and All. Okay. I then uh, uh, spent the next 12 months concerting um, Opera House, television, radio, and now I recorded my next album, which was released and went up to join my other album, which was still at the top of the charts. So I had one and two for a long time internationally. Um, I was the first Australian to release a classical single. I was the first Australian to have a best-selling book at the same time as uh, successful records. So it was an absolute screaming shot straight to the top of the ladder. Mm. I had dinner with Pat Roddy. I met Jose uh, Carreras. I sang on Carols by Candlelight with Marina Pryor. There were tentative bookings on Oprah Winfrey, David Letterman. My albums were released around the world. Um, within a very short period of time, I started drinking more. I couldn't cope with the fame. Basically, God answered my, my, my lifetime prayer, which is I wanted to be a superstar. So this is, this is a point I'd like to jump in here, because a lot of men, just to, have, to excuse the, uh, the, local the ambulance traffic, going, yeah. going, on, going past here, but a lot of people aspire to fame, money, mm. prestige. Mm. You got these in a big hurry. What was it like? Um... <sighs> If I wanted it to be, um, uh, the best way to answer that question is it depends. It, it depends on on what I'm what you're looking for. I wanted fame. I didn't realise what that entailed. I wanted success as a singer. I didn't realise what success was. Um, if you're a worldly person that is focused on, I have a saying. There's only three type of people that can make it in the entertainment industry, right? Uh, people that are that thick, they don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Okay people that um, are controlled totally and they don't have any right to say what, what, what's going on, and massive egotists, mm -hmm. okay? Um, I didn't have an ego. In fact, I spent most of my life trying to get people to dislike me because I didn't like me. Um, I did know what was going on, so I had a voice. And because I was controlled by a record company and a manager, I wasn't allowed to use that voice, which was frustrating. And um, the other part of it was success, the financial side of it, okay? Um, too thick to really know what was going on except to give me money, money, money. Um, that didn't happen because although the Lord allowed me to become a celebrity, because that was my dream, be careful what you ask for because you might just get it, mm -hmm. I'm pretty confident that he made sure I signed a contract without reading it and, uh, and that basically meant that I didn't make any money out of it. So I don't know how many albums they sold, a million um, books, I don't know how many they sold. Um, I got paid for a few, a few dollars for concerts to keep me happy and quiet, but somebody made a lot of money out of it. Um, and uh, all I can say is that a lot of money was spent too on my career, so don't get me wrong, I'm not accusing anybody. Mm. I'm just saying that I didn't become successful on a monetary level. Mm. But what I did achieve was absolute success on a uh, fame level. Uh, it was ridiculous. I couldn't walk down the street. It was, uh, at some points, it was manic. But what that did was the, the Christian me, if you like, I still sometimes have uh, uh, the question, was I really saved back then? Uh, you know, it's one of those questions. I don't know. All I know is that during that period of time that I wasn't walking with the Lord, I never blasphemed his name and I stuck up for him, right? But uh, I hid and I ducked. and I, So heavily backslidden. The Lord knew exactly where I was going to end up and he knew exactly what he wanted me to do. So he allowed me to go through that whole process. But towards the end of my singing career, six years, 
I was uh, increasing in weight, drinking alcohol, taking 100 Valium and Panadine four a week, drinking up to five litres of port a day. I was 132 kilos at one stage, to the best of my recollection. You once told me you once told me how much you were drinking, and I staggered to believe it. So what you were drinking in the morning, I did you too. got up in the morning? I did too, but my wife can verify, and she has to me, because I've told the story so many times, I wondered if it was even fabricated myself. But she said, no, I used to buy it for you. When she first met me, she was carting the boxes of cheap port from, from the shop for me. So I'd get up in the morning and have three or four, maybe six JD mixes, Jack Daniels. Uh, lunchtime, I'd have a bottle or two of red wine, which would travel through to about three in the afternoon, and then I'd sit there with the box and just keep emptying the port into my mouth. And um, by the time I finished drinking at one o'clock in the morning, um, and spending a lot of time on the toilet, peeing, um, I would basically get up and, uh, and start again. And I didn't care. So I became suicidal. Uh, although the first five or six attempts were probably a, a so was for this, attention. Was this the fame or was this something else? This was the fame. This was the fame. This Why was the, was fame the fame doing this to you? Because I didn't, uh, this was the fame and this was uh, me not knowing who Peter Brocklehurst was. Okay, me not really knowing what I wanted. Me being so confused by the whole thing and seeing, uh, see, the, the problem is, guy, the issue with life, I believe, is that people in society are going for what stimulates the flesh. Mm. And the devil is only too happy to actually plonk it in front of them. Okay, we're mm. all searching for God. We find him in a bottle. We find him in a false God. We find him in some cult. Um, but there's only one God. And uh, humankind searches for that void to fill that void. I think it was C.S. Lewis that mm. said uh, there's a, a God-shaped void in every man. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was somebody. And it's true. And I was trying to fill that void with fame. But my problem was that uh, I was chasing something that looked happy. Pretty songs and bright lights and music and fame. Mm. What I didn't realize was there's a backdrop to that. There's a, there's a pain in that. There's a responsibility in that. There's worldliness in it. There is, a, there is the flesh that cannot, we can't control ourselves. Now, the Bible says the flesh is weak, right? Um, and it is. Our desires aren't, though. But it's juxtaposed to each other. So you're in this situation where you're, you're thinking you do, you, you've got what you want, and we can't handle it. Not many can. Like I said, the ones that are thick or the ones that are perverse, or the ones that have got pride that, that, that overrides anything else, they'll survive for a while. They'll survive, you know, um, but at what cost? So I walked away. I jumped into the um, ocean. I tried to kill myself on a cliff. Um, and uh, somebody had reported that I'd been missing. This is cutting the story very short for obvious a uh, lot of reasons. Um, I was um, ended up in a mental ward for two weeks. And um, when I came out of the mental ward, I went to the doctor and she said, you don't basically have to worry about drink about any more suicide attempts because you've got six months to live, pretty much. And I said, why? She said, because your liver's dead and your kidney's dead and your thyroid's gone and your, your cholesterol's eight. And I said, you know, great, fantastic, who cares? And I walked out and I met Viv. And that story has been cut very short because that is a little bit more involved than that. But she came into my life. Um, she was from a very strong uh, Christian background uh, most of her life. She was brought up um, in a Christian family. Uh, she was uh, ill-treated by her partner for, of 20 years. Um, she brought her daughter up on her own cleaning windows. She had a hard time, really hard time, abuse. Um, she met me, another drunk. What brought her to me? God is the only answer to that question because why would you go from one drunk to another? We met, our eyes locked in. A week later, we were living with each other, drinking, Smoking, cursing, 
And I looked into her eyes one night when I was sitting in this room and I said, you know, the doctor told me I haven't got long to live. And she just went quiet and looked at me and I said, did you know that um, uh, I'm a Christian? The words came out of my mouth. And she went, you're a what? And I said, I'm a Christian. And she went, a Christian or a Christian? And I said, born again, born, saved by the blood of the lamb and all that stuff. But inside, it was growing. Something was happening. And she sat there and bawled her eyes out and she said, so am I. Now, if you can take anything at all from this story, you know that this was not just a chance meeting. No. Um, we basically got on our knees. Um, six months later, I went back to the doctor for, uh, with my, for my test results and I was given a 100% clean bill of health. Wow. Kidneys back, liver back. Now, God, our Lord does not answer our prayers according to our wishes. He, he answers them according to his will. Mm. Why was I healed? Why was I cured? I believe there, was a, there were reasons for that. Uh, I don't believe that he... Uh, that, quite often Christians have a thorn in the flesh. And they keep that for most of their lives. I still have one. I have um, uh, psoriasis all over my body, which I thought he cured once. I was wrong. Okay, he toned it down for me. Um, I have arthritis. I have chronic fatigue syndrome. Why? So he can. Uh, my attention is pretty focused on the Lord. Okay. If uh, I think he knows who I am, and if I got to the point where I was all self-sufficient again and all you know, bravado, bravado, Peter, I can do it on my own. I'd probably end up chasing another rabbit. So let's just come back to. Yeah. The night you and Viv, your wife now, got on your knees mm. and you prayed and you reconnected with God, did you reconnect with the church or other Christian people? What did you do next? It was a metaphor when I said I got on our knees. It took a, a slow, it was a slow release discipline. We basically, uh, over the next period of the next few weeks, started to talk more about God and praying. And Viv was a prayer warrior anyway, and mm. she never really turned her back from the Lord in, in essence, although her habits didn't reflect that. Um, and we got back into some form of godliness um, and we kept away from churches and Christians because I was still pretty much of the belief that most of them were legalistic um, liars <laughs> because that was my only experience with them. Apart from the Tim Boom Church where I first started, they were lovely people and I, I don't remember much of that, just a couple of people there. So what had happened then was... Um, I, I might just add, and this will take a minute, <clears throat> prior to this happening, my life consisted of being abducted when I was seven years old with my sister and raped for three days. We believe it was about three days. There's conflicting stories with that. Um, when I was 11, I was abducted by three guys with my brother. It was an international pedophile ring, and I won't go into what was happened there. When I was 14, I was molested again by a man. Um, I had uh, other problems uh, within a group of people that I knew sexually that was uh, untoward. Uh, my life was pretty much exposed from a very young age of the depravity and the deplorable um, actions of mankind. So I went through a lot of stuff and this is probably part of the reason why I was underpinned with insecurity and I wanted to chase that bright light of something that looked a bit better. But everything together was just manifest inside of me and this thing was created and there was no control over it. God was the only control in my life. If it wasn't for the Lord, I wouldn't be here today many times over. Mm. So now, with, the, with your question, with regards to churches, we didn't want anything to do with that. I, I, I was pretty much, I didn't like myself and I didn't like the world. But my wife and my life was now starting to take on a slightly different direction. I didn't know what it was. Okay? I, I then said to my wife, I want to go to Tasmania. She said, why? I said, I just want to go to Tasmania and live. And so, for me, her daughter was living here in Cranbourne. 
my daughter's were all here, stayed in very close contact with them all. She, we made this, got this dream. We packed up. She basically quit her job working in resi care with street kids, jumped in the back of an old wagon, and we went to Tasmania, and we pulled up a block of land, leased it, lived in a tent type of setup there in a shed um, for about three months, drinking wine and trying not to drink wine. And the only form of communication we had from the media was one little radio station we could pick up for about an hour at night. And the gospel message was coming through on that. that so we'd listen to it because that was it, little radio warning. And uh, when the uh, uh, a um, person from next door decided he didn't want us as his neighbours anymore because uh, he was one of the original landowners uh, around there and I think he wanted the land we were on, he started this little ploy to get us off and it worked quite effectively. They hunted us off, basically. So we ended up in a caravan park in Dover waiting for a, a, a boat trip back. We got on the boat, came back, went to the place where I met Viv, which was a little townhouse not unlike this in Warrnambool. Um, I had a shop there. I gave that to the guy that was working with me because I just wanted to go to Tassie. When I went back, he let us move back in upstairs. Um, slowly, the alcohol started was less and less. And the, the, the lifestyle was changing. Um, was there influenced by, was God involved in that? I think he was. We started looking for a place to live. The Lord answered our prayer. We ended up with a three-bedroom farmhouse, 25 minutes out of Warrnambool. Um, I spent, there were two farmhouses. I spent the next year and a half to two years stuck on that farm, unemployed, with chronic fatigue syndrome, unable to work, right? Being uh, uh, spoon-fed by the government, basically, because I was sick. And in, during that period of time, the 800 milligrams of lithium that I was addicted to, the, uh, the other antidepressant medication, the uh, boxes of drink and the Valium and the Panadol were being taken off me one at a time. It took 12 months for me to basically clean up my whole life. In the period of time from when I met, before I met Viv when I was at my peak in weight to that point to about two years later, I'd lost 57 kilos. Mm-hmm and all of the drugs. I, I, I'm cutting this very short because I know we're limited for time. But then I reconnected with my past by saying to my wife, do you know where I was saved? It was about 25 minutes up the road. Do you want to come to church there? And she went, yeah. Now, my wife's from a Pentecostal background, albeit a fairly sound one. There are many different, you know, different aspects of it. Um, and... Uh, she said, all right. So we went to this little quiet country church and who should I bump into there but one of the people that I was probably berating more than anyone else because of the legalism in those days. Uh, he was still there. He, he was actually there preaching that day and I went, oh, no. And it was all coming back to me. And I said, oh. and she said, what's wrong? I said, that's the guy I was telling you about. She went, do you want to go? And I said, no, let's stay. I re-met the guy. This is nearly 30 years after. And he was completely different. The love and the infectious Christness that came out of that man, it was palpable. Um, I said, you've changed. And he went, we all grow up, brother. His name was Kevin. And uh, you know who I'm talking about. And I thought, wow, well, maybe there is hope. And so we went to that church three or four times. Um, and then we moved. I, in, during that period of time, I was studying 10 hours a day. Um, reading my Bible, reading my Bible, reading my books, praying, asking God to help me, trying to get off the booze. And it was a very slow process. But the, 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 the essence of it, and then we ended up here. Um, the Lord led us here for, with a ministry. I wanted to be a preacher. I wanted to, be, to, to minister and help people. And he gave me all of my prayers were answered. 
right down to the to the because it all suited the Lord's purpose. Nothing over the top. No more fame. I didn't want to be a famous evangelist. I did, but that's not what the Lord wanted, and I'm quite happy with what He gave me. But the essence of the whole story is, when you rely on your flesh, on yourself, on your surroundings, on your dreams, if God's not involved in it, um, you're in trouble. And I'm not the only person in the world that's ever been addicted to barbiturates and to uh, prescription medication and to alcohol and to marijuana and to sex and to you know, those things, okay? Um, I meet them in my shop every day. Mm. But the question I've asked is, Lord, why did you allow me to go through all that when you knew, I, because for God's foresight, he knew where I was going to be. God, the Lord knows everything. But why did you allow me that? And, and as early as I can remember, he answered the question, no, I didn't get an audible voice, right? But the, the question was, came through scripture and in my heart, um, because I had plans for you. Mm. And they're good plans. And they're good mm. plans, plans to prosper you. And that prosperity is spiritual prosperity. Of course, we've now got a successful business and all the rest of it, and the Lord blesses us, you know. But he, he, it's not about money. It's not about success on a worldly level. It's about success knowing that God is the answer to all of your problems. If you're lonely, put yourself in his hands. Now, I, I ran. For th nearly 30 years, I was running away from God's hands. But he had other plans for me. He doesn't push anybody and uh, kick anyone into the kingdom of heaven. You can pull a piece of string. You can't push it. If you push it, it's not love. But he pulled and pulled and pulled until the tug was so strong, I had no choice but to um, go forward out of love. And it's a beautiful life now. Peter, you've, you've done a miracle here. You've summarized what sounds like an enormous amount of stuff. In, in 15 30, minutes. Well, 30 minutes here. But let's just come back to our audience then. Someone's listening here. They're trapped by, by drugs. They're trapped by alcohol they're trapped by womanizing they're trapped by broken marriages behind them they've got an absolute mess they want to have their faith to work but they're not sure that god's really listening they get a breakthrough and they fall backwards again having been down that road what in the world would you try and say to someone who was stuck in that kind of place oh are we talking about people that have faith or people yeah that people that are, that are crying out to god but wondering why maybe he hasn't stepped in and done the ultimate miracle they're still halfway through you know, because you, your miracle was a wonderful as it is. Actually, it wasn't overnight. So how thirty you, years, basically. How do you encourage someone who's stuck in the middle of all of that? Um, <clears throat> I had wrestled for the last five or six years, or a large part of it, with the Book of Job. Um, I wrestled with a lot of things. I wrestled with the fact that my daughter, who is now thirty-eight years old, has just been told she's got a few months to live with terminal cancer. Um, I, I I don't have all the answers. I do know, though, that we, we don't know everything down here. But we do know that the Lord, the Lord is in control of everything. He said in his word that my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not yours. Now, we either trust God or we've got a despot of a, of a creator that is just a, a freak that likes playing with people's lives. Now, I'm being candid with you here, okay? You've got two choices to make, okay? All right? God's a wacko. Um, that with 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 the intelligence of a poached egg, or he is the creator I think God. C.S. Lewis again. Yeah, or he is the creator God who knows what he's doing. Not not part. Like oh yeah, well I believe that God's made the heavens and the earth and he's in total control. But I got this problem. Well, you know what? It's your problem. It's not God's problem. Hmm. He it's says either, come either to me. True or none of it. Because that's right. He said come to me, all you who are heavy laden, burdened. Yeah. Not. Uh, meet you halfway because I don't have all the answers. Now, why is my daughter dying? I don't know. 
maybe it's got something to do with the fact we're living in a fallen world and we're all going to die. It is appointed unto man once to die. So while we're on this path, we need to make decisions. And my, it's still hard for me, right? Now, I've been studying not the first four years, but this seven, hourly, hours a night here. And I study apologetics to answer these questions. I don't have the answers, but I can tell you one thing, God does. And this is where, this is what I try and tell people in the shop that come with all of these, um, these questions, as I mentioned to you before. Those two verses in the Bible, answer a fool according to his folly, answer not a fool according to his folly, okay? If someone comes up to me with a genuine inquiry, I'll say, I'll do the best I can for you, right? But ultimately, God only knows. But if you've got faith, the grain of a mustard, if you can hang on, if you can persevere until the end, wow, you know? Because what you're going to get in heaven, the, the pain and suffering you have down here on this earth is nothing compared to what God's going to have for your life. Well, why is he putting me through this? Well, think about what he put his son through. It's a lot worse than what you're going through. Yeah, but he was Jesus. He knew the outcome. He said, okay, well, you do too because it's written in the Bible. Mm. Now, Peter, we've never done this before and I yeah. haven't asked the guy's permission to do what I'm just about to do. Okay, so if he, <laughs> I know what it is before you ask. If he gives me a dirty I look. have editorial authority here. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, would you pray for our listeners? I would pray for your listeners. Absolutely. I think it'd be fantastic. Yes. You pray for them right now. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Lord, I just ask you to instill in the listeners the, the faith to be able to accept the fact that the Lord will answer your prayer and that he will answer it in the very best way for you because he has your best interests at heart. So, Lord, can I just ask you, um, give us wisdom to know how to pray to you and the wisdom and the patience to know how to wait for your answer. And you have the answers and we don't. We're very limited and you're not. Um, so could you, could you um, please bless us with the knowledge or the patience to be aware of the fact that we are just the created and not the creator and that ultimately you will um, meet us and our needs where we are. So for everybody that's listening today, Lord, that has an issue with drugs or with sexuality or whatever it is, Lord, uh, that you might let them know some way, even if not through this podcast, that they are not unique in this world and their problems are not, they're not Robinson Crusoe. But so many people, so many times, Lord, have come to you with problems on all of these levels and you've dealt with them and you've helped them if they truly ask, seeking an answer and being patient enough to wait for that answer and truly believe that you will give them the answer, Lord. So I pray for everyone that's listening to this podcast uh, lord over the coming weeks or months or however long it is that you will stimulate in them the faith to believe that you are their god and you are the one that died on the cross for them to give them hope and you are the one that ultimately will will meet us where we are our needs and ultimately we will spend that eternity with you for those who have believed on you and those that are waiting for that blessed hope that glorious hope and the blessed appearing of our lord jesus christ amen amen peter mm -hmm. thanks all right. Well, we're out of time. Thank yep. you so much, Peter, for doing the show with us. Chris, quick. That's fantastic. Now, I think to realize that God has everything under control. Yep. He and does. that we can go he through does. hell and high water and God is still there and he can still bring us through. And your whole story testifies to the fact that God can do it. God will do it. God is faithful. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Can I just mention another thing that's very important for any listeners out there? You know, you're not alone, even though you, you may feel like you're alone and the Lord is in the room with you and you're praying to him. It's very hard to walk away from that prayer into an empty room and an empty life. There's a lot of knockers out there. Hmm. Find someone that you trust, that you can go to, that you can give the that can be responsible for you. Somebody 
a mentor, somebody within a church group that you trust, that you can actually go to. Because I have one, I have several now, but I have one that was there, Kevin, all the way through those seven years, if I had, no matter what the problem was, or how stupid it sounded, I trusted that man, and he helped me. That was the Lord helping me through a physiological aspect of our life because he gives us people to undergird us and help mm. us. So don't, you're not on mm. your own. No, you're not yeah, on your own. You pray, oh, why isn't the Lord? Ring your mate. Mm. Ring someone you can trust because together we're strong, divided or singly we're weak. That's right. And that's the key, key plank of, of why we've got this ministry going uh, because we recognize, look, we feel alone, but we're not alone if we'll just reach out. But it's so hard mm. to put that hand out and to reach out. Yeah, get, swallow your pride, guys. Pride's a sin. Get rid of it. Go and find somebody that can help you. Go and tug on their shirt until they actually listen to you. And if they don't, find someone else. They're out there. Okay. So thanks, Pete. Thanks, Chris. Don't forget to come back over to the website, www.realmen247.org. And we will close out with a little more bit more of, of Pete's, Pete's music. See you next time. Next time. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast at www.realmen247.org.